We really are grateful. The, the reality that uh, has just been sticking with me all week has been the fact that we as children of God uh, get to be his instrument so that as God works through us, then we get to be a taste of heaven on earth. And there's really no greater privilege than, than to recognize that what's our world need now and in the midst of all the craziness and wackiness of our world, to have a sense that, that God is present and God is working. And so we get to be that. So thanks for your uh, investment in uh, giving and our readiosity and blessing our community. All right, so if you have your Bibles, I want you to turn with me to Genesis chapter 20. And as you turn there, quick question for you. How many of you like country music? All right. Yeah, it's always funny. Some people are like, yes, and then others are like, yeah, I hate country music. But actually, I enjoy the story part of country music. And so, uh, some of you will recognize this country music song. It's about 10 years old, but the story of two guys in a bar, an old guy and a young guy, and they say they're talking about politics, girls, dogs. It's a country music song. So you got to have a dog in it. Bad habits and God's grace. Any of you with me? You know where I'm headed in this song? So, so the old man then says to the young man, he sums up life in three phrases. God is, God is great. Beer is good. And... People are crazy. All right, so now you may think you're crazy. I can't believe you have on the stage at church, on your slide, beer is good. So uh, we're not going to exposit a country music song today. But I want to ask you this question. As you consider God is great, beer is good, people are crazy, uh, how biblical is that? I hate teaching mask face. <laughs> I'd say, is God is great. Is that biblical? All right. Beer is good? No, 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 no. The scripture doesn't talk about beer, so we're going to bypass that one. All right. How about this? People are crazy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah that is, in reality, a great summation of Genesis 20 and 21. God is great and people are crazy. Now, let's keep it real. We be people. So what are we saying about ourselves? <laughs> that sometimes we are crazy. In other words, we just do crazy things and you kind of afterwards go, why did I do that? So this will really be our outline today. But here's how we're going to go through Genesis 20 and 21. Not typically where we'll go verse by verse. But we're going to look at these two themes because they repeat themselves throughout these two chapters. But we're going to start first with people, not with God. That people are crazy. So are you open there, Genesis chapter 20. Here's how the craziness begins. And here's a warning. It'll be more, make more sense to you if you've been with us through this series on Abraham friend of God. So you might not see the craziness if you haven't been immediately. Genesis chapter 20 says, starts like this. Now Abraham journeyed from there toward the land of the Negev and settled between Kadesh and Shur. Then he sojourned in Gerar. Abraham said of Sarah, his wife, she is my sister. So Abimelech, king of Gerar, sent and took Sarah. 
Crazy? All right, so why is that crazy? Well, first of all, because he called his wife his sister, and it's crazy because if you've been with us, we've already seen this story, except this is a new one. This is Abraham doing the same thing that he did prior. It's recorded, in fact, Honestly, you read the two, and the first one happens in Genesis 12, 22-some years earlier, and now again in Genesis 20, and you go, did the authors mess up? Did they record the same story twice? But there's significant differences between the two that says, no, two different events, but the same, the same thing. Okay, keep it real. You ever done something really foolish and thought, oh, I'll never do that again, and then did it again? Now, I know you did, because I know half. Because we are crazy. People are crazy. We often repeat our sin in spite of the fact that we've experienced the pain that it brings to ourselves and the pain that it brings to others. Again, I know this to be true for every single one of us. We would like to be the people that said, you know, I made that mistake, I sinned against the Lord, but I learned my lesson and then I never did it again. And that might be true for some sin in your life, but I am certain that every person in South and North on live stream, every single one of us can look honestly within ourselves and said we have sinned against the Lord, we experienced the pain, and we said we'd never do it again, and then we did it again. And we said, oh, we'll never do it again, and then we did it again. You with me? Who will admit to that? People are crazy. We are. Because I know, I say to myself when I step back just in and look at it purely logically, you go, what's wrong with me? Abraham does this twice, and it's just not Abraham. Go to Genesis 21, and again, if you've been with us, you go, really, again? Now Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, that is Ishmael, whom she had born to Abraham, mocking Therefore she said to Abraham, drive out this maid and her son, for the son of this maid shall not be an heir with my son Isaac. So she wants to kick Hagar out. Happened before? Yep, this exact same thing happened before. Sarah gets ticked off at Hagar and wants her thrown out and threw her out then and throws her out again. It's just the same repeated issue. But then... The flip side of this, not only do we repeat our sin, part of our craziness is that we often then do good to the very same people that we sinned against. And then they're like, wow, what's wrong with this person? I'm not sure where I stand with them. For the folks who are married, we recognize oftentimes we hurt the one we love the most. The one we love the most, we hurt the most. We, we have the same person, but one time really kind and none time really wrong. We do good to the very same people we sin against. So Abraham lies to Abimelech in chapter 20 and says she's my sister, when actually he's 
She's his wife. And then only a few verses later, Genesis 20, 17, Abraham prayed to God and he prays on behalf of Abimelech and God heals Abimelech and his sons and his maids through the prayer of Abraham. And Sarah, once Hagar thrown out in Genesis 21 and Abraham abides by his wife's wishes and has her thrown out, but it says he rose early in the morning and took bread and a skin of water and gave them to Hagar. In other words, I'm kicking you out, but I feel really, really badly about it, so here's like a care package to go. You ever been confused by how you're wrong and then you do good, but then you're wrong again and then you do good again, and it's just like, what is up? So, I think these two chapters are very real to life. How we repeat our sin. And Abimelech asks in this chapter a great question of Abraham that I want us to ask of ourselves. He asks Abraham this in verses 9 and 10. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bible open, look at this question. It's a good one. What have you done to us? And how have I sinned against you that you have brought on me and on my kingdom a great sin? You have done to me things that ought not to be done. What have you encountered that you have done this thing? Just pause there. You understand what Abimelech's saying? He's going, what's up? What's your story? What happened to you? What, what did I do to you that I didn't know to you that would cause you to do what you've done? It's a great question that we should ask ourselves. Why do I do the things that I know I shouldn't do? What have I encountered? What's the answer? (laughs) So here's, I think you said fear. I think they thought you said beer because of the country music song. (laughs) He didn't say beer, so you don't think, okay. Although that might be the case on some situations. Abraham's answer is instructive. Chapter 20, Abraham answers him. And I got to, honestly, in my study in Genesis in previous years, never seen Abraham's answer so helpful. But he's going to give us a mirror. And I want you to listen to what Abraham says to this question of Abimelech and find yourself Why is it that I do the things, sinful things, that I do? Here's what Abraham says. And I think he gives five reasons here. They might not all connect with you, but I bet you at least one will. Abraham says, Because I thought, surely there is no fear of God in this place, and they will kill me because of my wife. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my daughter, of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. And it came about when God caused me to wander from my father's house that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we go, say of me, he is my brother. You see anything there of why Abraham explains, I know it's wrong. Here's why I did it. And and we know. See, I don't even think Abimelech knows. You've done this before. So what's the answer? Well, first, why do we sin and repeat our sin? Because we justify our sinful actions because 
of the sinful actions of others. That's how we justify it. That's how we repeat our sin or begin our sin and then repeat it is because we see what somebody else has done and gone, well, that justifies what I'm going to do. So keep it real. How many men justify involvement in pornography because their wives withhold sex from them? Is that real enough for you? I justify my actions because of the sin of somebody else. So Abraham, what did he say? He says, I thought surely there is no fear of God in this place. Uh, in other words, in this situation, he was going, you were going to wrong me, so I felt justified in lying. What's unusual to me is that it's not just a, a sinful actions of others. The actual sin, he feels free to sin against Abimelech because of the anticipation of potential sin. Abimelech hadn't even done it, and he goes, well, I think you would have, so I beat you to it. Now again, you go, oh, come on, that's crazy. No, that's right, when we all are. We think somebody will sin against us, so we sin against them. Or they have sinned against us. And, and we know we're sinning, but what do we say? Yeah, but you've said words to people that you know are sinful. But you potentially justified them because the words they had spoken to you. You had a reaction to somebody that you know was sinful. But you justified it because of how they had acted towards you. Some people feel free. They justify stealing because they feel people have withheld from them. See, there's all sorts of justification. And it's why we sin and then we repeat our sin. We, we excuse ourselves. See yourself in that mirror? Now, let me pause for a moment. The point of us seeing ourselves in the mirror is for this reason that we would begin to identify not just the wrong that we do. That's actually the easy part of dealing with sin. It's that we would be, begin to identify why we do what we do so that we can address the why and change the what. And listen, the goal of our instruction, the scripture says, I've been repeating this in recent weeks, the goal of our instruction is not that we would know more. The goal of our instruction is that we would love more. And nobody loves someone when they sin against that person. That's obvious, but let's just be very direct. You can't love someone while you are sinning against them. Sin never loves. And so if what I'm doing is sinful and unloving and I keep doing it, I have to answer the question, why, before I'm going to change the what. And maybe you just need to this morning and go, uh, I understand. I've been justifying. And Lord, not only what, but the why. There is no justification for my wrong because of theirs. Second, Abraham and me, and you, we're most committed to self. Why do we sin ultimately? 
because we're most committed to me. I mean, I love you to a point. And at some point, I stop loving you because I love me more. Yeah, you all get that. And that's what Abraham says. He says, I thought surely there's no fear of God in this place and they'll kill me because of my wife. So I might sin against you and I might sin against my wife, but I kind of feel badly about it. But bottom line, I love me and I didn't want to die. So I sin. Now that's extreme. I didn't want to die. You and I sin against others because of love of self for all sorts of much lesser reasons. Think about the sins of self. We usually think of selfishness, but of self-pity, of self-love, of self-fulfillment, of self-satisfaction, of self-protection, of self-righteousness. When I sin against someone, it's almost always going to be in some way connected to Well, I was protecting me, I was satisfying me, I was advancing me, I was promoting me. And it's a recognition that, Lord, I I confess my lie. No. Lord, I confess my lie and I confess that I love myself way too much. It's the more acceptable self-sins of self-sufficiency and self-reliability that get us into trouble as well. But ultimately, Abraham said, I did what I did because I loved me. And when we're honest, it's because we love me. And we, our confession can't just be in our what, it's in our Lord. You loved me more than you loved you grow me up in that that I'd be willing to love others more than myself when you're single you don't realize how selfish you are and then you get married and a spouse often becomes a exposure of really how selfish you are And then you think you've seen how selfish you are. And then you have kids. And then you realize, oh, new layers of selfishness being revealed. It doesn't mean don't have kids and don't get married. (laughs) It means that those are the tools that God, listen, that God uses in our lives to grow us. Because there is not life in self-love. There is life in self Giving. So the Lord uses those very relationships to expose what needs to be exposed. Not because he's against us, but he's for you. So if you feel like, man, Doug, you're like whacking me right now. It's not because the Lord's against you. It's because he's for you. And you will find life in the laying down of your life versus in the protecting of your life. The the protection of self will always blow up in our face like it did in Abraham's. Third, we use a slice of truth to rationalize our disobedience to clear truth. I'm sure uh, probably all of you saw this 
rationalization that Abraham did. This rationalization. Besides, she actually is my sister, the daughter of my father, but not the daughter of my mother. And she became my wife. So she really was my sister. Make sense? Make sense? This is hilarious. You don't even know what to answer that. Does that make sense? Oh, kind of, yeah. She was my sister. But she was my sister is dramatically different than she is my sister because once your sister becomes your wife, which I don't recommend it, but if your sister (laughs) becomes your wife, which trumps? (laughs) So said the women. Wife! Of course. Nobody's confused about that. Is Abraham confused? Oh, sister, wife. He's not confused. He's, yeah, he's rational lying. That's rationalizing. Using rational thinking to convince ourselves the lie is acceptable. And again, we do it. Talked about marriage a couple times. If you're unmarried, or maybe the marriage who before you were married, too often, too believing people rationalize sex before marriage because, well, we love one another or we're going to get married. We're all but married. It's just a piece of paper anyway. So I don't have to make that stuff. It's just stuff. It's just stuff I see and hear all the time. Well, yeah, I know it's wrong, but. You know, where are we going to get married? And what's the matter of a couple of weeks? It's just a piece of paper. It's just, it's just a service. What's that called? Rational lying. Rationalizing. And sometimes we sin or sometimes we continue to repeat our sin because we have gotten some favorite rational lies that we believe. Next, we minimize God's presence in our life. This is fourth one. We minimize God's presence and provision in our lives. Here's what stopped me in my tracks in Abraham's answer. I, I think I would have missed it except for when he said this. And it came about when God calls me to wander from my father's house. When I read that part of that answer, did any of you have a flag that went, well, that doesn't seem right? Did God cause Abraham to wonder? When you think wonder, what what do you think? Like, uh, just kind of wandering around the mall. I don't really know where I'm going. I'm just wandering around. Is that what Abraham was doing? Okay, let me remind you. From the very first time recorded anyway that God reveals himself to Abraham back in Genesis chapter 12, he said, the Lord said to Abram before he changed his name, go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you. In other words, there's not this blind wandering. There is a promise of God to Abraham, I'm going to show you, I'm going to lead you, I'm going to shepherd you, I will be present with you. And why do we sin? Because we do what we minimize. Let's go back to it there. We, we minimize God's presence and provision. Uh, by saying things like this, 
I know I sin, but I'm only human. Is that minimizing God's presence, God's provision, God's work in a believer's life? Are you only human? Okay, listen. Yes, you are human, but once you are born again, you are not only human. The scripture declares that you have become a partaker of the divine nature. The life which you now live, you live by faith because Christ lives in you. And when I say things to justify my sin, like I'm only human, I am minimizing just like Abraham saying, well, I was just wandering around. No, 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 no. No, that's not true. God was leading you. He was your good shepherd. You weren't wondering. And I am not only human. I don't, I'm not just stuck to my own fleshly desires. Well, the temptation was just too great. You ever rationalize it that way? The temptation was just too great. No temptation has overtaken you, except such as common to man. And God is faithful and will, with the temptation, give you a way of escape. There is no temptation, actually, that is too great. When I say the temptation was too great, I am doing what here. I'm minimizing the presence and provision of God in my life. But we say things that aren't true, just like Abraham said things that were not true. It's not true. that It's, it's just who I am. No. If any man is in Christ, he is a new creature. Are you tracking with me? Do you see yourself excusing your sin because you're minimizing the power of the gospel by the power of what God really has done, not just to save you from heaven, but to indwell you and enable you to walk in newness of life. So what I do, now I recognize it. But why? I, I hope some of you are going right now, well, that's me. Uh, I constantly excuse myself, my temper, my lashing out, my sinful anger. I'm Italian. Or, it's, it's, just, it's what I saw my mom do, right? It's what I saw my dad do. Husbands, if you're excusing your sinful behavior towards your wife because that's what you saw your dad do, you are minimizing the work of God and the power of the gospel to change a person. Yeah, it is what I saw my dad do, but God has made me a new person, and I am not simply a victim that's going to repeat the same generational sin. There is the grace of God to make me a new person. So if you've been excusing sin by minimizing God's presence, God's work in your life, remember the power of the gospel. Remember what he has done for you, not just to pay the penalty for your sin, to make you a new person in Jesus. So, next, then our sinful practices become sinful habits. Again, this is not an excuse, but sometimes you and I 
repeat our sin because they have become habitual in our lives. We have, we have, <laughs> did you ever have a teacher show, growing up say, practice makes perfect? You ever hear that? Yeah, and then, and I used to, you know, practice makes perfect, practice makes perfect. And then somebody said, no, it doesn't make it, it makes it permanent. And I thought, that's actually much better, more true. Practice makes permanent. Because you can practice wrong things, and you'll never be perfect. It will be perfect the wrong stuff. <laughs> practice makes permanent. And when you and I respond in the same sinful way to the same situation over and over again, it can become habitual, enslaving. Those are the biblical words. The non-biblical words we might call addictive. But the biblical words are, they're enslaving. They're habitual sins. And did you see this in Abraham? When God calls me to wander, which is not true, from my father's house, that I said to her, this is the kindness which you will show to me everywhere we go, say of me. He's my brother. And when I read that, I was like, oh my word. I was surprised it's recorded twice, Genesis 12, Genesis 20. But actually, those are just the two times it was recorded. For 22 years, how, who knows how many times it actually happened. From the beginning, this was the agreement. This was the habit. That if we get into a tight spot where this self, which I love most, is going to get threatened. Here's where we always go. Here's our sinful habit. He's my brother. She's my sister. That's how we protect ourselves. And the practices can become habits. It's everywhere we go. And this is... This is what can be so discouraging for you as a believer. Because you feel guilty and feel guilty again and feel guilty again and feel guilty again and feel guilty again. And you start to think, I'm never going to get beyond. I'm never going to get beyond this. And then this lie creeps in. There's no point in confessing anymore. God knows you don't mean it. And now you're trapped. You can't even get clean. You see the power of the lies. You see, my point is this. It's the first four that we've talked about of justifying and committed to self and the rationalizing and the minimizing that ends up the practices lead to the, to the habits. And then you feel like you're stuck in the habits and you go, well, how do I break a habit? Listen, you break the habit by exposing the four practices before the habit began. You see what I'm saying? You recognize, this is why we're looking at the mirror this morning. You look and say, okay, I'm justifying. I'm not just confronting the what I'm confronting. I'm justifying. I'm rationalizing. I'm minimizing. I'm recognizing I'm most committed to self. You begin with what got you there. 
There's not a new secret. It's recognizing the four practices that brought you to a habit. And then finally, and this one actually isn't in the text. So you can put an asterisk by this one. The other five very clearly in the text. This one I'm adding because as a pastor, I've just heard this so much. We just presume upon God's grace. In other words, I know it's wrong. And I know I shouldn't. And I know it's destructive. And I know it hurts others. And I know it hurts my family. But God will forgive me. And so, I am who I am. I'm just going to keep doing him. And God will forgive me. A presuming upon God's grace. Now, here's the tension. Will he? Will he continue to forgive those who sin, but then repent and those who sin? And then, will he forgive? Yeah, I don't, okay, this, I'm glad I asked that question. I don't want you to be uncertain about this at all. <laughs> when you repent, he promises he'll forgive. But let us not be children of God who presume upon God's grace and go, he'll forgive me. And take what, what's popular in our culture. It's easier to get forgiveness than permission and apply it to our relationship with God. Let's not do that. <laughs> because this, because God has given his son to save us, again, not just from the penalty of sin, but the power of sin, and the power of sin in our life destroys. And so why would we hold on to something destructive with the idea that, that God will forgive? Yeah, God will forgive in terms of you, this relationship, but as long as you continue in it and you presume upon God's forgiveness, you continue to reap havoc on those that you sin against. So let's not be presumptive of God's grace. And while being presumptive of God's grace, miss the fact that he does say he will forgive, but he also says he does discipline those that he loves. And discipline is unpleasant. If you're not sure about reading about the, un, the, the discipline of God, the discipline of God is spoken of in 1 Corinthians chapter 11. And he says very clear, and in Hebrews chapter 12, that it is unpleasant. It's painful. And it's painful for a purpose to bring you to to repentance so that the sinful practice that may have become sinful habits would no longer be present in your life. All right, so we've been in the ditch for a while, all right? You're like, oh, man, we've been in the ditch for since the service started. Why? Because people are crazy, and we be people. But we don't have to be. I genuinely hope, I genuinely hope that something in that list, verbalized by Abraham, that you'll see and you'll go, Lord, that, that's me. That's something, that reason I'm going to begin to confront with truth in my life. I will no longer justify or minimize or rationalize or exalt self. I'm going to confront that issue in my life. 
I hope so. And here's the great hope. People are crazy, but what else is true? God is what? Yeah, not only is God great, God is greater. This is why I flipped the two for this reason. Don't miss it. I want us to understand that, yes, acknowledge, we are crazy. We do things that don't make sense, that are wrong and continue to do them, even though we know they're wrong, even though they're going to be pain. We do them. We're crazy. But God is not just great. He is greater than our crazy. It's not like people are crazy and God is great. It's people are crazy and God is greater, don't miss it, he is greater than our craziness. Let me show you seven examples of how he is not just great, but greater than our craziness in these two chapters. Again, kind of doing it in uh, piecemeal as we go through these two. So go back to chapter 20, and Abraham has lied to Abimelech, and Abimelech has his wife. And here's what God does that shows he's greater than our craziness. Verse three, but God came to Abimelech in a dream of the night and said to him, behold, you're a dead man because of the woman whom you have taken for she is married. God reveals it to him in a dream. And Abimelech says, Lord, will you slay a nation even though blameless? Did he not himself say to me, she's my sister? And she herself said, he's my brother? In the integrity of my heart and in the innocence of my hands, I have done this. Amazing. And God said to him in the dream, yes, I know that in the integrity of your heart, you have done this. And I also kept you from sinning against me there me therefore I did not let you touch her now I I don't know what the backstory the historical narrative here is but I think at that moment Abimelech goes oh oh you mean that night that I was planning to but then whatever happened and it didn't that was you protecting me thank you God Hey, have you never experienced God protect you? And when you looked in the rearview mirror, you went, oh, thank you, Lord, that you protected me in my ignorance. And, and that's really was it, what it was in Abimelech's case. It was his ignorance. He had no idea. And maybe you were planning to go somewhere and you didn't. And then you look back and went, Lord, if I would have gone there in ignorance, this would have happened. Or if I would have connected with this person, this would have happened. If I had taken this job, this would have And I had no idea. God, thank you that you knew what I didn't and you protected me. I, I, I hope you have a story. I bet you do. I don't know if you recognize it or not. But God protected you in your ignorance because we're crazy Abraham was crazy what he did but God was not just great God was greater he goes on now therefore this is God to Abimelech now therefore restore the man's wife for he is a prophet I'm sure when Abimelech hears that he's like what and 
Kind of a lousy prophet, if you ask me. Now, therefore, restore the man's wife. He's a prophet, and he'll pray for you, and you'll live. But if you do not restore her, now that you know, know that you shall surely die, and you and all who are yours. Abimelech then took sheep and oxen and male and female servants and gave them to Abraham and restored his wife Sarah to him. And Abimelech said, Behold, my land is before you. Settle wherever you please. And to Sarah he said, Behold, I have given your brother a thousand pieces of silver. Behold, it is your vindication before all who are with you. And before all men, you are cleared. And Abraham prayed to God. And God healed Abimelech and his wife and his maid so that they bore children. Not only does he protect us in our ignorance, he's greater in that he forgives us in our repentance. Don't believe the lie that God is ever tired of your repentance. So again, let's make sure we understand what's repentance mean? Repentance means this, the changing of your mind. But when you change your mind, really change your mind, does anything else change? Yeah, absolutely. When we change our mind about something, then our, our words follow that change of mind. Our actions change. Our, change, our priorities change reflect that change of mind. Nobody just changed their mind, changes their mind and then continues to what they used to do according to their previous mind. You with me? When we change our mind, it does change our actions. So repentance by definition is a change of mind, but there are fruits of repentance that reveal that repentance has been a change of mind, not just words spoken to get off the hook. Because all of our mothers probably taught us to say words to get us off the hook. No offense to mom, but what did she tell you when you did something wrong? Say you're, say you're sorry. And you don't have to be brilliant to go, hmm, it seems like if I say I'm sorry, I'll escape the consequences. I should do that more often. Do what I want to do and then just say sorry. I mean, have you never seen a kid after his mom told him, say you're sorry, go, Sorry. And you go, you're not sorry. You're repeating words. You ever do that to the Lord? Lord, could I say I'm sorry and you give me off the hook? Not really a change of mind, but if I say the right words. Say repentance is not about words. Repentance is a change of mind. And when there's a change of mind, then, then words do come. So there's not repentance without a change of words. But it begins with a change of mind. I changed my mind. And Abimelech went, oh, I changed my mind. And therefore, Abraham, I had done this. Now I'm going to do this. Sarah, I had done this. Now I'm going to do this. And, and God heals. And God restores. And God opens the womb. Never believe the lie. If you're believing it this morning, God's not interested in my repentance. He is always, always, he never tires of my repentance or your repentance. Don't believe the lie that you have repented too many times. 
where there is repentance, there is forgiveness. And where there is forgiveness, there is cleansing and restoration and renewal. God is greater than our sin. Third expression of God is greater is in Genesis 21. If you turn there, the, the sad part to me of these two chapters is this. For since Genesis 12 and in real time for 25 years, we've been waiting for God to do what he promised, and that is to give them, Abraham and Sarah, a child. And it happens in 21, but it happens in the middle of all of this craziness. You hardly even get to celebrate it. So I say that. So when we read these seven words, understand there is phenomenal celebration in what happens in Abraham and Sarah's life. It says this, then the Lord took note of Sarah as he had said, and the Lord did for Sarah as he had, as he had promised. So Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age at the appointed time of which God had spoken to him. Abraham called the name of his son who was born to him, whom Sarah bore to him, Isaac. And then Abraham circumcised his son Isaac when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Now Abraham was 100 years old when his son Isaac was born to him. And Sarah said, listen to this, God has made laughter for me. Everyone who hears will laugh with me. No longer at me, but now they'll laugh with me. Why? Who would have said to Abraham, Sarah would nurse children, yet I have born him a son in his old age. So good. You know what, you know what uh, Sarah's saying? She's like, no matter, no matter the party, no matter the story at the party, I've got the best one. I've got the best story of how God keeps his promises even when we run off the rails. I, I have the story of how the incredible grace of God, in spite of my craziness, in spite of my sinfulness, in spite of the shenanigans that Abraham and I pulled on people, in spite of our fears, in spite of our doubts, in spite of what we did with Abimelech, and in spite of what we did with Hagar, God kept his promise. And I have the joy of my heart. See, I think you and I live with a ledger system. And when we fail the Lord, we think, now God's going to get me. God's not going to do what he said. But God does not do with you and I what we do with one another. You and, I, you and I just break our promises to one another. Sometimes intentionally because we love self and sometimes unintentionally. But you and I break our promises to one another and we tend to treat one another the way we have been treated and that is not God. God is greater. He's greater in your life. He's not matching you. He is true to himself. 
He's not as faithful to you as you are faithful to him. He is greater. God keeps his promise when we don't. And then he shows himself greater in chapter 21 to Hagar. Go to verse 15 of chapter 21. When the water and the skin, you remember Abraham had created a to-go box for Hagar when he kicked her out. When the water and the skin was used up, she left the boy under one of the bushes. Then she went and sat down opposite him about a bowshot away, for she said, do not let me see the boy die. And she sat opposite him and lifted up her voice and wept. But God heard. God heard that loud crying. And the angel of God called to Hagar from heaven and said to her, he, God, speaks to her. What is the matter with you, Hagar? Do not fear, for God has heard the voice of the lad where he is. Do you understand? Maybe you don't remember. But this is the second time that Hagar has been kicked out and abandoned and in the wilderness. And God, the last time, said to her, God, I... God says to her, Hagar, I see you. And what's he say this time to her? Hagar, I, I hear you. In spite of the craziness, God does, is present when we are abandoned and he hears us in our despair. He's present when we feel abandoned. It's one of my great hopes when I see homes broken and children feel abandoned. The great hopes is God has not abandoned them. He is the father to the fatherless. God is present to those who feel abandoned and God hears those who cry out. So I don't know what your despair is right now. But sometimes we come to church and we have an inner despair going on. And we wonder, does God hear? Does God see? Hagar, the mother of Ishmael, experiences God in a way that encourages me. He sees you and he hears you. He does not abandon you. And verse 19 Then God opened her eyes and she saw a well of water and she went and filled the skin that had run dry. She filled it with water and gave the lad a drink and the boy that she thought was going to die and she was going to die. They both live because God is greater. He provides when we lack. In 21, Genesis 21 ends then with this, this great reminder of who our God is. Abraham planted a tamarisk tree at Beersheba, and there he called on the name of the Lord, the, the what? The everlasting God. Meaning what? He is the same yesterday, today, tomorrow. He is from the beginning to the end. He has no beginning and he has no end. In other words, that which he is greater will always be. God will 
always keep his promises. God will always promise his presence. God will always provide in our life. God will always hear us in our despair. Why? Because he is the everlasting God. And not just the everlasting God. He is our everlasting God. And there is no greater expression of the fact that our everlasting God is greater than our craziness than the cross. You understand what I just said? The cross is the fullest expression that people are crazy. People took the Son of God wrapped in human flesh, Jesus of Nazareth, they took God himself and they falsely accused him. They stripped him of his clothes. They beat him with a whip. They made a crown of thorns, put it on his head, and pounded it with rods into his head. They mocked him, and they spat on God. People are crazy, and they reflect exactly what you and I do. And God, hanging on the cross, says what? Father, forgive them. People are crazy, and God is greater, greater, greater. So I want us to just take a moment, and you, you got as you came in this morning, and if you're on live stream, hope you took the moment to grab some elements we have in the room here. These elements, again, if you haven't been here, this is why we do the Lord's Supper in these days. There's two little seals, so let's just do the mechanics first. Tear the top seal off. And there's that little wafer there. Take that, put that in your hand. Then take the next seal and pull that off carefully if you can. And now you have the two elements, the bread and the cup. Maybe that gave you time at home if you're watching live stream. You don't have to have these. Because is this the body and the blood of Jesus? No, friends. Listen. This is not the body and blood of Jesus. These are symbols that remind us. Uh, an unleavened wafer. It's a reminder that the sinless Savior gave himself for us. The juice is just a reminder. It's a visual reminder that the blood of Jesus was shed for the forgiveness of our sin. This is the reminder. Now make it personal. Are you crazy? You repeat your sin. It's not act like we don't. There's no hope in acting like, well, I'm not as crazy as somebody else. Maybe you're not, but you're crazy. Our hope is that God is, God is greater. And his greatness is most fully expressed right here. That he who was without sin became sin. So that we who were full of sin might become the righteousness of God in him. God is greater. So with gratitude, maybe there's a, a changing of mind, maybe a, a prayer of repentance that you need to pray right now. Before you take these, that, that you might examine your heart and you might admit, Lord, I have minimized your work. I've acted like I'm only human.
Or maybe you have rationalized what you're doing by some slice of truth. Or maybe your prayer of repentance is, Lord, I've justified my sin because of the sin of others, but there is no justification. When we take the elements, we are reminded that we are given Christ, not only to be our Savior, but to be the one who would enable us by his Spirit to walk in newness of life. As a recipient that you have trusted in Jesus, that you are believing in the greater grace of God, let me invite you to take with me in gratitude. Father, thank you for your great grace in our lives. Thank you that you never grow weary of showing your grace and mercy to us. And we want to declare that what we really believe, the change of our mind, is that you are better than anything else in life. And we want to declare this expression of our love to you. And so let me invite you uh, here in the room and at home as well. Let's declare this song together. It's a new song for many of you probably, but it's an expression of the greatness of who our God is an expression of what we believe about him. So let's stand together and declare this.
so for how many that was a new song? Yeah, a lot of you, I know. It's called Graves into Gardens, Death into Life. And I just, I love that song because it declares that the word is better. We said in the message, it's God is, God is greater. His mercy and grace is always greater. And so, Father, as we go from here, we want to go not dead in our sin and entrenched in our sin, but alive to you and walking in mercy and grace, not hiding our fears, like it said, as if we could or our failures, but believing that your grace is always greater, that we would walk in the full provision of the indwelling spirit, that we would walk in newness of life. And instead of by our foolishness, bringing a taste of hell to earth and our humility, walking in the spirit, bringing a taste of heaven to earth. What a gift that would be because there's nothing better than you. So thank you for your great grace in our lives. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks if you've joined us on live stream uh, for being with us this morning.